0: Good morning, it's good to see you guys. Uh, some of you may be confused, like, wait, Grant was doing the announcements, Daniel's up there now, what's going on, is there more announcements? No, there's no more announcements. I'm actually going to be preaching today. Uh, I want to welcome all of our guests this morning. Oh, thanks for clapping, that's unnecessary. Uh, but I want to thank you for our guests being here today. Um, maybe you were here because it's Independence Day tomorrow. I would like to assume you're here because it's my cat's birthday, uh, Camry, to turn two today, so that's, that's exciting um, she was a little nervous, though, because my parents, who are right over here, they're staying with us, and she's a nervous kitty, and she's like, I don't know what's going on, why are these doors closed, why are there weird people in my sleeping spots, uh, so I don't know if you guys have cats and have problems like that, but our cat is very shy, which is kind of sad, because I'm not very shy, and so I was hoping she'd be a little more like me, but it is what it is. Um, for those of you who've been around, you know, hopefully, that we're going through spiritual disciplines this summer. And so we've been talking about that, and we're going to continue that process today. Um, but hopefully you've, you've come to figure out that spiritual disciplines are not something that just happen, that come easily. Uh, they're work. They actually take discipline. They take effort. They take intentionality. Um, and in fact, for different people, different spiritual disciplines are going to be easier than others. So depending on our giftings or our personality or the things that we've experienced in our lives, certain spiritual disciplines— are going to come easier for us than others. And so some things might be a challenge for something else. We may have a friend that's like, oh my gosh. Studying the Bible is so easy for them. That's not fair. But then maybe for you, praying is very easy or something along those lines. Um, and something else that, that you may have realized, maybe not, is that a lot of times spiritual disciplines overlap. So last week we talked about fasting. Well, a lot of times fasting might be paired with silence and solitude. And if you're going to do silence and solitude, that might be paired with prayer or Bible study. And in fact, if you were in uh, my life group discussion group this past Thursday, I've even commented about this, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today in this sermon is actually we talked about this past Thursday, and we talked about fasting, and not going to be talking about fasting today. Um, another thing that I hope you realize, but maybe not, is the purpose of spiritual disciplines is not for us to influence God. The purpose of spiritual disciplines is for us to be influenced by God. Does that make sense? In other words, the point of me studying my Bible is not to somehow convince God to bless me because I'm spending time reading the Bible. The purpose of me reading the Bible and studying it is so I know more about him and so I'm influenced more by him. Um, now today, we're going to talk about something that you may not even have ever thought of as a spiritual discipline, and that's sacrifice. And I'm sure there's lots of things that may come to your mind as you think about sacrifice. Um, there's multiple different definitions of sacrifice, but I just want to keep it really simple. Uh, for our purposes today, sacrifice is giving something over to God. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what does that look like, to give our lives, give things that are a part of us, over to Him. So let me pray, and we're going to get started. By God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together today, um, the opportunity to look at your word and what it says and talk about our lives And how our lives can more resemble what you want them to be. Um, I pray that through today that we would know more about you, know more about your character, know more about how you love us and what you've done for us, but then also how we can steward the things you've given to us well. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, sacrifice. So I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about sacrifice, but at least for me, the first thing I think of is the sacrificial system the practice of animal sacrifice that God put in place for his people and the law that he gave to Moses. But this morning, I want us to go back further. We're not going to start there. We're actually going to go back before that. Uh, We're going to go before there was a law, before there was even a group of people that were called God's people. We're going to go back to a guy named Abraham. One day, God told Abraham to leave his family and his home and to go to a place far away that God would show him. So he took his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot and he left. Now, the Bible doesn't give us any specifics about how Abraham was feeling. It doesn't say if this was difficult for him, if this was easy, if this was something he was excited about, or he was stressed out, or how long the goodbyes were. But we can imagine that there were some challenges as he leaves his family and leaves his home. God promises Abraham that he would have a son. In fact, that he will become a great nation of many people. But there was a problem. Abraham was 75 years old, and his wife was barren. He had no children. Now as time goes by, Abraham keeps moving around. He encounters famine and has to move to Egypt just for the survival of his family. But as time go by, God blesses Abraham and his flocks and his herds grow. It actually comes to the point that the land he's in cannot sustain both his flocks and his nephew Lot's flocks. So they separate. Abraham gives Lot the first choice of which direction to go, and so Lot chooses the lush plain of the Jordan, and he goes that way. And so Abraham gets stuck with the land of Canaan, which doesn't look as nice to the eyes. As years go by, Abraham and Sarah, they still don't have a son. So they come up with a plan. Abraham will take his 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 wife Sarah's servant Hagar as a second wife, and maybe they think God will give them a son through her. This works in the sense that Hagar has a son, and his name is Ishmael, but God makes it clear that this is not the son that was promised. God says that Sarah will have a son. And Abraham laughs at this because, see, at this point, he's 99 years old, and Sarah is 90. But God assures him that, no, he he will, in fact, have a son, and that God is actually going to give Sarah a son in the next year, and they're going to name the son Isaac. So Sarah miraculously becomes pregnant and has a son. As Isaac is getting older, Sarah sees Ishmael, the older son, making fun of him and mocking him, and so she tells Abraham to get this guy away, like, send Hagar, send Ishmael away. And you can imagine that Abraham is not comfortable with this idea. Ishmael is his oldest son, and he loves him very much. But God tells him to do it, to send him away. Now, this might not make sense to you or to I. And frankly, it's hard to take. But I'm, going to try, I'm not going to try to explain how this works or why God said to do this, but I'm going to say two things. One, God does, in fact, take care of Ishmael and blesses him and gives him a family, and they prosper. And two it seems like Ishmael is actually a barrier for Abraham. Just like Sarah's barrenness was an obstacle, and the amount of herds that Lot had was an obstacle, the oldest son was an obstacle because the family line is not promised through him. It was important for Isaac to be the only son. And so that sets the stage for our primary text today, which actually involves a more bizarre ask than just sending your son away. If you guys have your Bible, I would encourage you to go ahead and open it up to Genesis chapter 22. There's going to also be the text on the screen. Uh, This is one of the most famous passages in the Bible, actually. It's actually famous in other religions as well. Um, But I think there's some things here that we can really learn. Genesis chapter 22, and I'm going to start in verse 1, if I can find it in my Bible. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered, Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. When Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and replied and said, My father, and Abraham replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, Here I am. Then he said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide, or Yahweh Yireh. So today it is said, I will prov- it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. All right, let me get a little hydration. All right, so as you see there, there's nothing comfortable or easy or even logical about what God asked Abraham to do. In fact, decades have led to this point in Abraham's life. God continually promises a son that will lead to a nation, and then God tells him to sacrifice the only son he has because he sent his other son away. Now, for the original readers, I think they actually have a different shock than we as the modern readers have as we read this text. For us, the idea of killing your son is unthinkable. And not that that would be easy by any means for someone back then, but actually in this culture, uh, this time period, the sacrifice of children actually happens. That's something that people actually do sometimes. In fact, they do that in order to appease their gods. Uh, and, and in fact, it's their false gods, it's their idols. And there's even examples of kings of Israel sacrificing their children to idols. What is even more shocking than the ask God gives to kill Isaac is who's asking Abraham to do that? And that's the true God, the God that we know, and also who is being sacrificed. The last 10 chapters of Genesis have involved God making promise after promise that depends on Isaac in order to be fulfilled. The promise of Abraham being made into a great nation. The promise of Sarah being the mother through which this will happen. The promise of the world being blessed through Abraham and the promise of Isaac himself being the one this blessing would come through, not Ishmael. Clearly, a major point of this story is that Abraham has faith. This is often necessary when something is sacrificed. He had faith to leave his home and family, he had faith to send Ishmael away, and he had faith to take Isaac to the altar on the mountain. Hebrews 11, 17-19 gives us a commentary on this. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it has been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. So as Abraham took Isaac to the mountain, he actually had faith that God could raise Isaac from the dead. Another major point in our text is the foreshadowing of a different sacrifice. It's also the sacrifice of a son, and that's God's son. Just as God provided a substitute for Isaac, he provides a substitute for us in Jesus. We have been separated from God because of our sin and rebellion against him. We are incapable of rectifying this on our own. So God, just as he had promised many times in the Old Testament, provides a way for us to be reconciled to him. Jesus came to earth, setting aside his his position and privilege, lived the perfect life that we have proven incapable of living and paid the penalty of death for us on the cross. There was no ram to take his spot. He was a spotless lamb killed for us. Then he rose again from the dead, defeating sin and death. He was the promised son. He was the sacrifice demanded. Now we may think that God would never ask us to do something like sacrifice our son. And I agree that God's not going to ask me to kill my son if I have one. This specific situation was unique to its time and circumstance. And of course, God intervenes and stops it from happening. We have to also acknowledge that God did not stop Jesus from dying. In fact, the purpose of Jesus' life on earth was to live and die and rise again. And he was loved totally and completely by the Father. So we must be careful to think that God will not call us to do something difficult, uncomfortable, or illogical. The question is, what is God calling us to give up? And the answer is everything. If we're Christians, followers of Jesus, children of God, it's all God's. It's all his. And so he has the right to it. If we have a kid and God calls them to a scary and dangerous place. Are we going to release them and bless them and encourage them to do it? If God calls us to give a summer to him at LT or do missions, are we going to go after that? are willing to give up something specific that we treasure, whether it be our summer, our spring break, our major, our job, our relationship, or even a child. We put aside our freedom as stewards of what God has given us. From an eternal perspective, I don't own anything. God owns everything. I do have the right to be called a child of God because of the faith I've placed in Jesus Christ, and that's a really cool thing. But I do not have the right to say to God, no, no. That's mine. When we sacrifice, we give up something. And that does not mean that things will then go well from our point of view. Sometimes we give up something and there is a clear positive result. Other times we give up something and it's really hard. And we actually don't see the benefit right away. An important concept to follow in all this is that obedience is more important than sacrifice. Sometimes we can try to avoid what God is calling us to do by offering something else in its place. In the Old Testament, this often looked like something where someone would take an animal and sacrifice it, as the law stated, but they would ignore the purpose of the sacrifice, which is submission to God. Ecclesiastes 5.1 puts it this way It says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to approach it in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignore and do wrong. Now, for us as Christians, the same idea is true. What makes Jesus' sacrifice on the cross beautiful is not his death, but his obedience to the Father. Another important truth to remember is sacrificing to God does not put us in right relationship with him. We can only be in right relationship with God by turning from our sin and believing in Jesus as our Savior and King. But as children of God, made right with him by the blood of Jesus, we have the opportunity to give up things out of obedience to him. And there's actually a lot of benefits to this. I'm just going to give us five, okay? Five benefits. One benefit of giving things over to God is that we demonstrate our faith. Abraham was already declared righteous by God before he was asked to sacrifice his son. Genesis 15:6 says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. But by being obedient to God, even to the point of giving up his son, he demonstrates his faith. We also have the opportunity to grow in our faith. When we are first introduced to Abraham, he leaves his home and family to go to an unknown land he had never seen. Clearly, he has faith. God promises him that he will become a great nation, and he believes. However, along the way, he is not perfect in this regard. Twice he lies and endangers his wife and the promise that God has made to him. Another time he tries his own plan and has a child with Hagar instead of Sarah. Yet Abraham grew in his faith to a point where he was willing to offer to God the very avenue by which God's promises would be fulfilled, and that was his son Isaac. All the promises God made to Abraham hinged on Isaac living. Have you thought about that? Like Isaac actually needed to live in order for the promises God made to come to fruition, and then God tells him to kill Isaac. Interesting. The same thing is true about Jesus. All the promises God made throughout the Bible hinge on Jesus' living on him conquering and ruling as king forever, and yet he was offered up as an atoning sacrifice for us. Another thing is the more we go to God, we get the opportunity to be more obedient. As Abraham responds in faith, he receives more opportunity to respond in faith. The thing is, some of us, that actually might be a deterrent, right? Like, oh man, I don't want to give up this thing because then God might want me to give up something else. But the reality is, a faithful life is challenging, but it's good. Another thing is we have the, actually we get the opportunity to have a change in heart posture. When we give up things to God, we are training ourselves to be more drawn to him. I'm gonna say that one more time. When we give up things to God, we are training ourselves to be more drawn to him. The things of this world begin to have less of a hold on us. We are less likely to be the plant in the parable of the sower that hears the word about the kingdom of God but the truth is choked out of it because of the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Another opportunity we have is we get to glorify God. God receives honor and worship and glory from the individual sacrificing and often from others as well. Abraham and Jesus are both clear examples of this, but let me give you another one from the Bible. Before Solomon became king and built the temple of God, his father David prepared for this by giving gold, silver, and precious stones from his own treasury the temple then he asked the leaders of the people if any of them would volunteer to give as well and there was an overwhelming response first chronicles 29 9 says then the people rejoiced because of their leader's willingness to give for they had given to the lord wholeheartedly king david also rejoiced greatly now this leads us to the conversation of what are some ways that we can sacrifice what are some ways that we can give things over to god First, we must acknowledge that everything we have is God's. It's all His. So we are stewards of what God has entrusted us with, not owners. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable about a master that entrusts his possessions to his servants. The expectation is that they will be faithful. The first two are faithful, and more is given to them. The third is not faithful, and what he has is taken away. It's all God's, and He has the rights to it. Second, we need to be intentional in order to be sacrificial. When something is taken away from us by force, this isn't sacrifice. It is us offering it up voluntarily and intentionally. Third, sometimes sacrificing is saying no. Sometimes it's saying yes. Oftentimes, no to something easy, and saying yes to something difficult. Fourth, it's easy to think, uh, I don't actually have that much. You know, I'm like a 20-year-old college student. I don't have a job But this is actually irrelevant to the idea of giving up something to God. It's not how much we give, but how we give. God cares about our heart and our obedience. Jesus makes this pretty clear in Mark 12 when he comments on a widow's gift. Many others are putting in large quantities of money into the offering box, but Jesus praises the widow who gives two small coins, which is all she has. Now you can take what each of us have, and we can put them into three categories. Kyle actually has referred to this many times in his sermons, but it's the idea of time, talents, and treasures. These three T's can be helpful to think about what God has given us and how we can offer them back to him. For time, are you willing to give God your time? This could be in a daily context, like spending time with him. It could be in a weekly context, going to a life group or going to church. Or it could be in a once or twice a year context, giving up a week or a month or a semester to a mission trip. Time is a great example of how obedience to God can involve a yes or a no. The yes may be more obvious, yes to a quiet time, yes to church, yes to a mission trip, but the no can be equally as important. Saying no to staying up late so I can be more focused and willing to get up in the morning to pray. Saying no to commitment like a sports team so I can be a life group. Saying no to a vacation so I can take off work to do a disaster relief trip instead. Now, to be clear, saying no is not in and of itself more spiritual than, than saying yes in these situations. Um, if I say yes to staying up late, just to be intentional, to talk to my roommate or my spouse, that's a good thing. If I say yes to being on a sports team so then I can reach out and minister to my teammates, it could be a good thing. If I say yes to going on a vacation so I can spend intentional time with my family, that's good talents. We've all been given abilities by God. You're good at something. That's true for all of us. We are all good at something. So how are we going to give that over to God? If you're a Christian, you also have spiritual giftings. Are you seeking ways to give those up to God as well? And then that brings us to treasures. And for many of us, I think for me, this is the most difficult. Giving up things to God that we treasure in our hearts, things we gravitate towards, anything that might take the place of God as a treasure of our lives. Remember the kingdom of God as a treasure, a priceless pearl, or so much more than any earthly thing. And I could never list all the treasures that we might have in our hearts, all the things we might be drawn to, but I'm just going to give a few examples. One is our position. This could be socially. This could be academically. This could be in the workforce. We want people to think positively of us and respect us, but if Jesus is our example, we need to remember that he gave up his position. Philippians 2, 5-8 tells us to adopt the same attitude of that as Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he, came, when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Two, our relationship goals. Whether this is a particular group of friends or a romantic relationship, are we willing to give up relationships that don't honor God? Would you be willing to live purposefully and intentionally as a long period of singleness, if that's what it needs to be given over to God? Would you be willing to, to make obedient decisions, even if that meant you were less likely to have the relationships you personally want and are drawn to? Third, our identity. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are saying that our primary fundamental identity is child of God. John 1, 12-13 says this, But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or the will of the flesh, or the will of God. Sorry, not, not, not the will of flesh or the will of man, but the will of God. Are we willing to put all other aspects of our identity under submission to our identity in Christ? This means obedience to what he says as we go about making our choices. And fourth, our wealth. Our stuff, our money. We're we going to be honest with ourselves about the hold these things have on us. We can be deceived in any of these areas, but this one I think can be the easiest. The money I have is not mine. I've been given responsibility over it, I get to do different things with it, but how I use my money impacts me beyond the material aspects of it, it affects me spiritually. Don't let money rule your life. Don't let the enticement of wealth dictate your major or job choice. Don't let it control where you live or how you spend your time. And don't let it take your heart and rob Jesus of the very thing he died for, your life. Your life is his if you put your faith in him. Don't put your faith in anything else. Don't put your hope in anything else. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, I thought a lot about how I could communicate clearly and help us as a church think through the idea of giving our money back to God. It's something we don't talk a lot about in our church, and so I know it's important to give some kind of guidance in this area as we think about sacrifice. I don't want to give you a super specific number or percentage, because I don't think that's super helpful, and I want to make sure that I'm very clear I'm not trying to give you some legalistic rules to follow. So the best I could come up with was to share some experiences from my own life in particular, choices and temptations that I've come to face. Now, as a basis of this, it's really important to catch that giving is a discipline. Just like Bible study, prayer, or fasting, the more you intentionally give to God, the easier it is to do. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 puts it this way. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he decides in his heart not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. God loves a cheerful giver, and one of the best ways to become cheerful is to do it regularly. Now, I personally benefited greatly from my parents, who are right over here. Um, They helped me out a lot in this when I was a little kid. Uh, When I started kindergarten, they gave me an allowance, now, the majority of my allowance was for school lunch money, and that's real life. You know, like when we have amount of money, a good portion of that's going to go to our food and to our bills. You know, Kroger gets a lot of the Perkle money. That's just the way it is. Um, but there was also a portion that was set aside for savings, a portion that was set aside for giving to the church, a portion that was set aside for missions, and also a portion that was set aside for me to do whatever I wanted to with it. What's well, let's be honest, a lot of times involved buying baseball cards and bubble gum. That's what I would do with it. Um, But the idea was that I start to learn what it meant to not only save, but to set aside things to give to God. So the the part to the church was, it was going to church. It was going to Central Park Baptist Church. That's where it was going. And then the missions I could use however I wanted. So I could use to give to foreign missions, or I could use to buy maybe uh, some stuff to put in a little shoebox to send to kids for Christmas, any of those kind of things. Now, when I got to college, I would work in the summertime. So now I had income. I had a job that wasn't for my parents. And what I would do was, is I would give 10% to the church, and during specific times a year, I might feel a conviction and give things to international missions, or to make the school box for kids. And these were all good, but I struggled with longer-term issues, like what kind of job that I would pursue. So when I got to college, my original major was electrical engineering. And the reason I chose that job was not because I had put a lot of thought and prayer into it, but it was like, you know what? Electrical engineering. I'm good at math, I was on the math team. I could probably do one plus one. It's probably fine. Uh, Two, it paid a lot of money. That sounded good. And three, there was a lot of opportunities in that field around my hometown. And these are all totally fine things to consider and think about. But I wasn't seeking God in that. I wasn't pursuing him in the process. I did not have a sacrificial mindset. I was picking what I saw as the most comfortable and providing the best resources for myself in the future without considering what God may have for me and how he had gifted me. Thankfully, through a very difficult semester that included almost failing two classes, I kind of came to my senses and chose a different path. Now, eventually, I was presented with the opportunity to come here to Cincinnati and be on staff with H2O. And you might be like, okay, what's it got to do with giving? Um, But all of us on staff support raise. And what that means is, is that we don't get a traditional salary like a lot of people, but instead we meet with churches and individuals to ask them to support us as we come here and minister To the campus. Now, once I started support raising, I realized that I was given to the church in these kind of sporadic needs, but I wasn't partnering with other individuals for the gospel with my finances. So I began to support individual missionaries as well, and this actually was a really big blessing for me. I was becoming more generous and less compartmentalized in my giving. Now, it may seem like I have this all together and am no longer tempted to withhold money from God and no longer tempted to be selfish, but that is definitely not true. One example is, is this year, Yango and I were waiting on our tax return. You know, we anticipated getting a healthy return back, and we we're going to take a portion of that, give days to O, and take another portion of that, take care of some needs we had, but that's not what happened. Um, through a, it was my fault, through a fault I made in filling out a tax form, we actually owed the government a whole lot of money. And so my temptation in that was, you know what? i got to give this money to the government, to the IRS, so I should probably take this month off, given to the church. And that was the temptation I had. Uh, and the reason I had that temptation was because my plans were changed. And that's not good. Uh, we want to be content regardless of our circumstances. And so thankfully, we still gave to the church, but that was a very, very real temptation that I struggled with for several days. Just got kind of to give you guys a summary of how Yango and I, and we do our giving right now. We give a set amount each month to individual missionaries, and it's an amount we've decided on together and ahead of time, and then as we get our paycheck every month, we give a percentage to the church as well. All right, so why am I telling you all this? It's like, who cares? Like, Daniel, what you do? I'm, you know, we're all different people. One, I want to give you an example of how generosity is a blessing, and I know this because so many people have been generous to me as a support-based missionary, but also, I get to be a part of that as well. I get to support missionaries as well, and that is a blessing. Two, while I haven't laid out exact specifics on what to give, hopefully this is helpful for you as you process how you want to steward your money. Three, no matter how long you've been participating in giving things over to God, there can still be temptation, a draw on to trust in something else other than God. Now finally, I want to close out our time today Um, by looking at something very specific. I want to go back to that concept of animal sacrifice. Remember, I just mentioned that as the first thing that came to my mind. Uh, I want to go back to that. I want us to look at the sacrificial system very quickly and see how we can learn from it today. There were several types of sacrifice that God laid out for his people in the first few chapters of Leviticus. Some of them were voluntary. You get to participate whenever you wanted. Okay, remember just the idea of being a cheerful giver. And some of them were mandatory. They were expected, They were obligatory. Um, And God was very specific in how to do both of those things. Now, I heard a guy named Jim Shaddix point out three needs of God's people that these sacrifices met, that the animal sacrifices met under the Old Covenant. One is the need to be faithful to God. Two is the need for fellowship with God. And three is the need for forgiveness from God. So being faithful to God, having fellowship with God, and receiving forgiveness from God. As Christians, we get to participate in the voluntary act of sacrifice in our day-to-day lives. And this is an important part of our spiritual lives. It impacts our faithfulness to God and our fellowship with Him. But what about forgiveness? The required sacrifices God gave to His people in the Old Testament are called the sin offering and the guilt offering. Before you could give the sin offering, you had to confess that you had sinned. And then once you confessed, you would bring what was called your penalty for guilt, and it was the penalty for the sin you had committed, and it was a lamb or a goat, and it would be offered to the Lord. The priest would then take the animal and make atonement on behalf of the people. We don't do this anymore. We don't sacrifice, our, we don't sacrifice for our sins. Um, we don't do that because Jesus, our great high priest and the Lamb, offered Himself as our atoning sacrifice. We don't sacrifice to earn God's love, we don't sacrifice to earn His forgiveness we sacrifice to commune with him in faithful fellowship. Now, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you. We thank you first and foremost that you love us and care for us so much that you've been making promises that affect us since the beginning. Um, and not only have you made promises, you've come through. You've fulfilled them. Ultimately through your son Jesus and his death and resurrection. We thank you for his life. We thank you for what you've done for us through him. Lord, also, we want to participate with you. Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to have fellowship with you. Um, And by us giving things over to you, we get an opportunity to do that. And we thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be more willing, uh, that we would be joyful in that process. We praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.